Welcome to the Algarve, here for the Grand Prix of Portugal. This is after the flag. Well, here we are, myself, Steve Day, Simon Crayfire and Matt Burt, and we are stood outside the Monster Energy Yamaha trucks for a very good reason, because they've won every race in 2021 so far, and two of them now belong to Fabio Quattararo, the winner here today in the Algarve. Guys, um, we have to start with the race winner, um, and what a race it was, full of highs and lows, so many talking points, I'm not sure we're going to fit it all in, we'll try, <laughs> but I want to get your thoughts first, um, Matt, I'll start with you, Fabio Quattararo, he's really showing his class, it looks like now he's got that front end feel, he's on top of the world, and the very best version of Fabio Quattararo is coming to the surface. Yeah, this is the Fabio Quattararo, Steve, we saw so often in 2019, the reason why Yamaha picked him to jump in that factory team and fill the big shoes of Valentino Rossi. He was brilliant all weekend, quickest in FP3, brilliant in FP4 to top the time sheets there. A little bit lucky maybe to get pole position after the drama with Pekka Bagnaia and Maverick Vinales in qualifying, but no look at all about his performance in the race. I mean, under so much pressure from Alex Rins, he resisted. He looked absolutely sensational. You can just see he's at ease and at one with that Yamaha. The big improvements in corner speed and the turning are really helping Fabio. I mean, what a golden streak he's on right now. If he carries on like this, he'll take some stopping. He really will. And Simon, from yesterday, we kind of knew that Fabio Quattararo had some excellent pace, but he had to work for it as well because it didn't come easy. He dropped back to fifth or sixth. But as Matt just says, there's something very different about Fabio Quattararo and this 2021 Yamaha. Yeah, um, as I said to him in Park Ferme, it's the 2021 Fabio. He seems stronger, doesn't he? Yeah. He's more experienced, mentally stronger somehow. I mean, it's easy to show that when things are going good. We'll see when things go bad. But also, I think the big one Matt touched on is the new bike. I think the new bike is, they've hit the mark. They knew it was good in Qatar. They were a little bit worried about Europe, come to Europe. And he said in, in a press conference that they barely changed the bike from Qatar to here, just a couple of little tweaks. And uh, we're, we're just next to the Olin's trucks. And I said, is that true what he said? And they went, pretty much our job's easy at the moment. So he's, he loves his bike. And when you're in that zone, you love your bike and you can take it everywhere it works, you're dangerous. Uh, Paco Bagnaia was second uh, today. Um, you mentioned, of course, Matt, just a moment ago that Perhaps on another day, Peko Bagnaia would have been on pole position. Instead, he started 11th today, but okay, there were a few people that fell in front of him, but what a ride from Peko Bagnaia, uh, topping the Ducati's list at the moment. Absolutely fantastic, Steve. What I love about Peko Bagnaia as well is he, he just quickly forgot about all the disappointment of yesterday, because that was an incredible lap time in Q2. I mean, it was well, well inside the all-time lap record. It was a lap time, really, that deserved pole position. Of course, the rules are the rules. It was the yellow flag infringement, but. He got his head down today in the race. The Ducatis, you know, this is a circuit famous for being one line, famous for being very, very difficult to overtake. He used the strongest point of that Ducati to make his moves, getting sure he got really good drive onto that start, finish straight over the crest and was able to use the power to slip past a few guys. But to come from 11th to second around a track as hard as it is to overtake like here, Absolutely brilliant by Peko Bagnaia. I mean, it's been a great start to the year for him, a pole position and two podiums already. I don't think we'd have to wait too long before Peko's on that top step. And Simon, you know, it always helps when you've got a good engine underneath you and on the straight, a long straight here again, like Portimao, that was always going to aid Peko, but he's riding brilliantly. Yeah, um, you're right. You have to do less work in those hard braking areas trying to overtake. The thing that I'd take away uh, about Peko is if he didn't have to fight through 
and use extra tire doing that, which you do. You know, you have to accelerate harder off the corners, brake harder to overtake people, which he was doing. I have absolutely no doubt that he would have been fighting for the win, you know, harassing um, Fabio all the way to the end. Okay, let's move on to third place. Juan Mir, the world champion, he's got himself his first podium of the year, starting from ninth. I think we all will know whenever we get into any race that Juan is going to appear somewhere. He had good rhythm, he was pretty confident. Uh, he did so, he got himself, it was not without hard work and when he stood with Simon, and we'll come to that in a minute in Parc Ferme, it looked like he was pretty shattered at the end of it as well. Yeah, a physically and mentally draining race for the world champion, but a world champion's riding many respects from Juan Mir. What I loved about him was when Marc Marquez got him early on in that oh, race, yeah. after what happened yesterday, you know, you, you've got to put a marker down yourself and he just got straight up the inside of Mark with an aggressive move. They had a bit of contact as well very early on. That's what we want to see. These guys pushing at the absolute limit all the time. And I, I think Juan Mir actually, towards the end of the race, he, he came on strong again like we thought he would do with his time management. Maybe another two or three laps, he might have actually had something for Pekka Bagnar. He just couldn't quite get close enough. As we mentioned again, even for the Suzuki's, hard to overtake, but really strong weekend for Juan Mir. Another great ride, ninth through to the podium. Really, really impressed. And I think he'd need that podium, of course. You know, starting the season as the world champion without a rostrum, that's going to give him a lot of confidence and a big boost going to Jerez in a couple of weeks. Simon, you picked out the Suzuki's. Um, if we could get your thoughts on Mir and also perhaps Alex Rins as well, because it could well have been another podium for Alex were it not for that mistake over at Turn 5. But first of all, Juan, a great ride. You had him down yesterday. You were right. Unreal. Um, the thing is about Juan, um, he's so good, like I said during the race, at managing tyres. I think he recognised that that front wasn't going to go all the way to the end for their setup or their machine and, and handle it. So he had to roll off a bit to get there and come back at the end. And a shame, but uh, Alex was so fast, but obviously didn't heed the warning, you know, from the front and, and, and it let it. That's how I see it anyway. Um, look, these three races, meaning the two Qatars and here, aren't, I don't think, strong ones for Suzuki and Juan. But I genuinely feel that from here or soon after, that we're going to be standing here and it's going to be deja vu. That guy yeah. is so clever in all areas that I think he's just going to start marching towards the front as the year goes on. Juan Mir. Okay, let's just talk about the, the, the fallers, starting with Alex Rins, of course. He was putting intense pressure on Fabio Quattararo uh, at one stage in that race, but he wasn't the only one to go down from podium contention as well. Joanne Zarco, Jack Miller also. Some big names fell in that race, Matt. Yeah, I mean, Alex Rins, I hate to say this, but we've seen that from him before, haven't we, in the past, where he's been in fantastic positions. He was riding fantastic, to be fair to him. It was a small mistake down the hill into turn five. We said that Rins was putting so much pressure on Fabio Quattararo, but of course, the pressure was coming back in his face as well because Fabio was riding at such an incredible level. That's what pushed Alex into that mistake, trying to stay there as well. Apparently, Joan Zarco, he admitted it was a mistake up at turn number 11. He just ran in a little bit hot, got the bike unsettled. And rather than engaging second gear, he dropped down to first. And with that extra engine braking, oh, no. that pushed him even wider. And down he went, so a small mistake. And I think Jack Miller just held his hands up and said, it, it was my fault. Unfortunately, I was just pushing a bit too hard to, to run the pace early on. Alex Spargo braked a little bit earlier than he expected in front of him. I think Jack just again just squeezed that front brake lever on that little bit harder. Down he went. Not the start of the season at all, what we expected from Jack. You know, two ninth places and now a DNF, the pressure building. But like we said before, he can see that the Ducati is strong and that'll be keeping him going. But yeah, when you look at Zarco and Miller, 
big point scoring opportunities went begging today. Your thoughts on that side? Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the year, I got asked about the Jack and Pico and the factory Ducati thing. And I, I, I remember saying that Jack only has a small window. I was thinking a half season uh, before Pico's going to be on him, you know, like he's going to get enough experience and confidence. I think it's already here, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, he's dangerous. Also other fallers that perhaps we'll have to go into on another day today. Valentino Rossi unfortunately went down when things were maybe looking a little bit brighter at one stage in the race. And of course, after winning here handsomely in November 2020, Miguel Oliveira had a day to forget, unfortunately, in his homeland. Uh, let's just look further down the order then in the race itself. Franco Morbidelli, fourth place. He'll be pretty happy with that. Of course, maybe disappointed not to be on the podium, Matt. But ultimately, after the disaster in Qatar, to get back into the rhythm in the top five, he'll take that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think when you observe from the outside Frank and Wormadelli right now, Steve, clearly he's unsettled mentally, I think, by the fact that he's on this two-year-old Yamaha. The factory Yamaha has clearly made a step this year, as Simon mentioned. The Ducatis have also improved, so have the Suzuki. So he's perhaps just gone that little bit further backwards in terms of the technical support. So I think, actually, there's not much else that Frankie could have done today. He rode the wheels off that bike and got the absolute maximum out of it. And let's not forget, he was only a couple of tenths away from Joanne Mir at the chequered flag, so I thought he did a fantastic job. The key moving forward for Frankie is he's got to try and put this whole bike spec thing out of his head because it's not going to change. It doesn't matter how much yeah. he sort of complains about it or lets it irritate him, it will not change. So all he's got to do is get his head down and get the best out of what's underneath him, which he did today. We will get to Mark Marquez in a bit. Don't worry, don't panic, we'll get there. <laughs> but first, we have to talk about the guys in fifth and sixth. Brad Binder, KTM, Alicia Spargaro, Aprilia, fantastic rides. Unbelievable, both. Um, you know, in general, the KTMs and Hondas have really been suffering Qatar and here. And at least part of the problem, maybe they haven't made the steps forward the other manufacturers had, have, but at least part of the problem is the current tyre allocation yeah. suiting their machines, you know? And it must be a hard job for Mitchell. And like Pico said, the tyres were awesome. It's just, they obviously suited their machine better. And Honda and uh, KTM have to work to get their machine to use those tyres to the optimum as well. And the thing is that I am amazed at what Brad Binder did today, because nobody else on a Honda or a KTM could run that pace. It's truly awesome. He's got something special on a, on a Sunday. About Aleish, um, yeah, I mean, three races and three good rides, yeah. good finishes. I think it's pretty much proof that Aprilia have made a good step forward as well. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of young fellas going to want to get on the Aprilia now. Not really much else I can add. I mean, I just thought Brad Binder was absolutely out of this world again. I mean, I just, I just love watching that guy race and the way, he goes, the way he goes about his business. We saw, again, like Simon mentioned, how hard it was for all the other KTMs here this weekend to make that front tyre work, and yet there he was, pushing so, so hard. Had he not been mired down on the fifth row of the grid in 15th place, probably a little bit like the Pekka Bagnai scenario, a better qualifying, he probably could have fought for the podium, maybe even better. And Alessio Spiro, you've got to give credit to him, but also huge credit to Massimo Rivola and Romano Albertiano and the team of engineers back in New Orleans because that was a radical overhaul of that RSGP and there must have been some doubts about whether it was going to work. Yep. It works brilliantly. Alesha, another, well, for the first top six that Aprilia have had in a long time. And he said afterwards, he's 100% convinced that Aprilia will be on the podium at some stage this year. And what we've seen so far in the first three races, I'm not going to argue with that. Yep, brilliant results for Alicia Spargaro and Brad Binder. Now let's get to Mark Marquez. He returns the eight-time world champion after being out for so, so long, 
the question's finally been answered, what to expect of Mark. And I think on Friday when he came in and lit up the paddock, there were a few people thinking, hang on a minute, he's going to be on the podium. It became a reality, Simon, uh, yesterday that that wasn't going to be possible and perhaps he might not even finish the race. So he's done a brilliant job to finish seventh today. Awesome job. Uh, I would say that I, I genuinely actually, the first time I've ever said this, feel sorry for Mark having to come in, like I was saying, where Honda and KTM are on the back foot, you know, and so is he. And not the, the normal Mark, as we know from the past, can override it and make it get there anyway. But with like Honda, I mean, every time Honda tried to go fast this weekend, a Honda rider, they, they crashed, you know? It just wasn't working, was it? You know, all of them are battered. And Mark, in the current form he's in, you know, the lack of muscles that couldn't force that Honda there. He did for the first couple of laps, but yeah, so I think he did a pretty amazing job. And, and, and Matt, we saw the emotions at the end of the race as well. I mean, everyone's delighted to have Mark Marquez back in this paddock, but you could quite clearly see from his reaction post-race that there would have been moments in the last nine months where he thought it was all over. Absolutely, Steve. I mean, it was raw emotion, wasn't it, at the end of the race, both emotionally and physically. I mean, he was absolutely drained with that uh, endurance issue in the right arm, but 518 days since he last finished the MotoGP race, over 250 days since he was last in this pressure cooker environment. You could see how much it meant to him just to be out there on the grid doing what he loves the best and to think that that may have been taken away from him after that crash in the rest last year. I mean, personally, I was buzzing to see him back this weekend because there's just something about Mark, you know, in the commentary box when he's on a hot lap, he just makes you, you know, on the edge of your seat like no other rider can do. So. We know he's only going to get stronger, he's only going to get faster as the week's going on. And let's not forget, the guy has been out of action for nine months. He was only half a second a lap slower than the race winner yeah, today, Fabio exactly. Quattro, who's well dialed in. Nine months off the bike, and as Simon mentioned, he was still the top Honda guy out there. That's, today. The, that's the point. <laughs> and now Bastianini was top rookie. Again, guys, uh, in the latter stages of the race, just showing what a class act he is on a two-year-old Ducati, finishing in ninth place. I mean, the best is yet to come, isn't it, from that uh, young man? No doubt. I mean, Marini also was fantastic. Yeah. His teammate this weekend didn't quite go to plan in the race. Um, I, I, I can't say enough how much I love all three of the rookies. You know, we were missing Martin, but all of them guaranteed are going to get to the front. We just need a bit more time. Yeah, well... Going into uh, the rest, I, I still don't actually know what's happened to Polis Bargaro. Any, any information? Yeah, apparently he had a problem with a rear brake. I heard that the was the reason why he came in, which is a real shame because, I mean, obviously, Paul getting himself on the grid after that monster crash yeah. in turn 15 yesterday. So, really unfortunate. You've got to say, quite a rare technical problem for a, for a Honda motorcycle. Let's just quickly uh, analyse what happened on uh, Saturday here as well. Jorge Martin, uh, we're, we're hoping to see him back, but what a shame after the heroics of Doha. Yeah, I um, heard Matt mention it on the live and I came to the same conclusion as Matt and that uh, I think it was Alicia Spargaro put it really well. It really came down, if you boil down, to experience, you know, and coming to this circuit, which is a handful in, you know, on any bike, but on a MotoGP bike, you know, he, Jorge Martin complained through the first day that the bike was unrideable, you know, but Jorge is not the sort of guy to roll off and go, oh, we'll figure it out tomorrow, <laughs> or he, he, he's so aggressive, but which is the reason, like Alesh said, he got on the podium in his second race, 
but I think it might have been also the reason that he fired it when it wasn't going to plan, got caught out by a brand new tyre that maybe wasn't right up to temperature. But good luck, Jorge, recovery. Hope to see you back soon. Um, just a quick word as well, a shout out to the two rookies, uh, Pedro Acosta today in Moto3, Raul Fernandez in Moto2, wow, absolutely unbelievable. This has just come into my head and we have to talk about it before we go. Maverick Vinales, oh. you know, the mysterious oh. case of Maverick is, is almost returned. I was convinced after we left Qatar and Doha that everything was going to be fine again and Fabio Quattararo certainly shows that the Yamaha is working well, but what happened today? Apparently, Steve, after the race, he just said, bemused and, and baffled, no rear grip whatsoever. I mean, at one stage early on, we said in commentary that he was so far back, two seconds off the pace of the race leaders, he, he had to have some kind of technical problem to be in that kind of situation. You know, Maverick just looks completely mystified. You know, how can he go from being so fantastic in both Qatar race? I mean, he would have probably fought Fabio for the win yeah. in Qatar too, had he not caught up with the Ducatis a little bit late on, but you go from race winning potential in Qatar to absolutely nowhere here. And the problem is as well, his teammates smoked him. Yeah. You know, Fabio Quattro on the opposite side of the garage absolutely hammered him in every session, really, apart from qualifying. Of course, Maverick had that hot lap cancelled for exceeding the track limit, but lots more questions and answers, unfortunately, about Maverick. And that was a tough one to watch. I mean, to be two seconds off the pace at times, it was, it was painful. So I didn't put Maverick down for any podium positions last night when we had to, to guess what was going to happen um, because I mean his pace was there through practice guaranteed but because this track is so one line so difficult to overtake and he doesn't have the fastest bike to do it on the straight so add all that up and Maverick's not famous for doing hard overtakes and for, like he's not a Brad Binder he's not going to force his way through so I didn't put him down for the podium but I did not expect it to go as bad as that and to me there had to be some sort of technical problem to add to his woes, you know. Okay, guys, thanks ever so much for your thoughts, as ever. Right, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for joining us. From Matt Burt, from Simon Crafer, from myself, Steve Day. Fabio Quattararo leads the World Championship by 15 points. Will he make it three wins on the trot at his beloved Jerez? That's where we're headed to next in a couple of weeks' time. We'll see you then. <laughs>